Welcome to the Lake Mac Way, where we spend some time with our people who make Lake Macquarie a great place to live and work. Today we meet Sue Morrison, who is joining us for the Lake Mac Way. Hello. Hi. Hi, Craig. How are you? Very well. I read your biography and I almost got tired by the end of it. You've done an enormous amount of things. You've worked in a lot of places in a lot of countries. How have you fitted it all in? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm 59, so lots of experience, lots mm. of life experience. So mm. took some risks. I think that that's probably something that people don't really think of, you know, middle-aged women who grow up, grew up in Cardiff, you know, so mm. work at, in local government, you know, they don't they, when they hear my story, they kind of go, oh, wow. When did you start taking the risks, as you say it? And you're talking professionally here. Mm. Yeah, after my time at working at Newcastle Council, actually, um, you know, I did a maternity leave replacement at Wyong Council, which is what, Central Coast Council now? Yep. Mm. And, um, and this opportunity came up through my professional network, actually. It said, you know, someone, you know, looking for someone who will train internal auditors in the Solomon Islands. I went, oh, where's that? Google that, you know. But long story short, got the job. So went and lived there for two years, and that was kind of the beginning of my overseas development, international development careers, just passing on the skills that I had over all those years doing things in state government and local government and, and yeah, just helping to set up internal audit or strengthen internal audit in for the whole government mm. in the Solomon Islands. So, so I went back, I did that twice, went back there twice. So I had four years altogether in the Solomons. So. What does an internal order to do? <laughs> Good question. We're the checkers. We're almost like financial policemen, but we do more than finance as well. We, we look at compliance and stuff. So we look at what are the rules. Sometimes the rules themselves are stupid. So we will speak up and say, hey, you know, we should do things better, improve things. So really checking that, you know, in the public service, it's about, you know, the ratepayers and and the, the citizens, that they're getting value for the money, for money, for the, you know, the money that the government is responsible for to put in infrastructure and for our health and education and all of that sort of stuff. So we check that, mm. you know, so internal auditors check. So I say, when the auditors come, say for the bank or something like that, the external auditors, they're usually checking to make sure that the money is correct in the financial statements. So the payroll figure is correct in the financial statements. Internal auditors check that all the systems and processes that go together to get that amount into the financial statements is correct. So we kind of work work together. So we, we do the back office mm. side of things. So we're more interested in systems and processes and governance and risk and controls than we are about the actual dollar figure. Let's drill down and make it in, in very simple terms so that someone mm. like me could understand. <laughs> so say for instance, uh, mm. somebody quotes a job for mm. whoever you're representing, whether it's the government, whether mm. it's somebody else. Sends a quote in, the quote's accepted, job's done, invoice goes in, yep. and a payment is made. If there is something untoward happening here, yep. if there is some type of corruption internally, whatever, what are you looking for? Well, we're looking for whether the supplier is a legitimate supplier or not. So, you know, I mentioned before about joke shipping, which is the Solomon, the, the fake company that was set up to take, you know, AusAid funds out of the system and misuse them. So 
whether the supplies are legitimate, whether they actually did the job they were meant to do. So we, we check that. There's various controls in place to make sure they actually, you know, built the bridge, built the clinic, did whatever, provided the education service or whatever. Then we make sure that the invoice itself is not dodgy, that it's not a duplicate or a fake invoice. And then the payment actually went to a legitimate supplier and wasn't siphoned off by some, you know, dodgy public servant who'd been bribed or, you know, was redirecting the funds or something like that. So that's what internal auditors, we look at various, look at evidence and we look at controls to see where that money's gone. Why do you love this work? I can see you do. <laughs> I can see you really are passionate about this. What, did this start from, you know, let's go back to maybe your time you know, you're at high school. Were you mm. a mathematics girl? Is that something that interests you, or is it the fairness and the justice bit? The fairness and the justice things. You know, my mum, mum and dad, who still live at Cardiff, you know that they always taught me that you know you've got to be fair, you've got to tell the truth, be fair, Dinkum, and and that's what it's about. And you help those who are less fortunate than yourself. Mm. And so part of my motivation, you know, is to make sure that that everyone gets a fair go, and and that you know the money that is given. For doing something, whether it's building a road or or whatever, is actually used for that, and we get value for our money. Quite passionate about that, probably from childhood. Has that seen you in situations personally where you have been intimidated, challenged, <laughs> maybe been in a situation which has been uncomfortable, and you know had politically someone going, "Well, we don't like this. You're digging in an area where we are." Oh, absolutely. When I was in the Solomon Islands, the first two years I was there, I was really just getting my head around the place and just knew that there were some difficulties with how their systems and processes are pretty poor. And so that's one was one of my jobs was to, to make them better, you know, put in proper processes, train people, you know, if they were meant to be checking, you know, if there was a fake supplier that they knew how to do that. I did have an experience like that um, at Newcastle Council. I did blow the whistle on a, on a senior manager who was doing the wrong thing. Personally, wasn't happy with the outcome. They said there was insufficient evidence to, you know, do anything further, but they, she resigned. But, you know, I just, you know, I, I wanted not revenge, but I, I wanted more justice, you know, a, a, a more just outcome. That, that experience was actually really good for working overseas because it gave me some context and gave me some, some tools and, and maybe some guts and courage to speak up, um, especially when I saw, you know, just how poor the Solomon Islanders were and that they really did need that money for clinics. So when these guys, you know, faked this joke shipping and mm. faked these companies to try and rip off Australian money, just pressed a button but as we went in and set up processes so back then the only way that we could kind of stop what was happening was to actually stop the payments being made to those suppliers so that made some people really angry so um, I myself and, and my Solomon Island counterpart actually got a backlash I had about six different security incidents that I had to report to my bosses at in Australian aid that you know, people were pulling knives on me and trying to kick my office door down and trying to break into our office to steal um, the evidence and stuff like that. So that's pretty serious stuff. Yeah, serious stuff, yeah. Not usually the sort of stuff auditors have to have to deal with. So I was scared, but I was really determined, and I really wanted to fight for them too because I had security guards that um, you know w- were positioned at my house, so they, you know, I felt 
safe and we had a security guard then posted at the office door mm. but I was scared for my Solomon Island counterparts because they just didn't have you know they mm. didn't have that access so you know but I, we, we were all quite quietly determined that you know this is not how it was supposed to be you know it was their kids that couldn't get treated at the hospital it was their elderly parents who were dying you know actually um, I'll get a lump in my throat talking about this actually had a Solomon Island friend who died as a result of corruption um, they had he was an asthmatic he was in his early 50s they had stolen all the asthma medication from the hospital and sold it on the black market and so my friend had an asthma attack and couldn't get oxygen couldn't get the asthma medication and he died in the waiting room so that made me really determined. <laughs> in fact, I upset the Australian High Commission a bit because I spoke to a group of accountants about it and they knew by then that this, you know, this fraud then was front page of the paper in the Solomon Islands, that, that we had found this fraud and that public servants had been suspended and pol you know, police investigations were uh, ensuing. And, um, and so I spoke with the then Auditor General. He and I got up and spoke about you know, corruption and government money and, and aid money being siphoned off to do wrong things but not being used for what they were meant to. Mm. And um, I got very emotional. I still do about my lovely friend Jack, mm. that he lost his life because of corruption. And I mm. said, do you want to live in a country like this? You know, do, do you want this for your families, you know? I said, I can go home to Australia where, you know, we've got great systems and processes and great health systems. But I said, you guys have to fight for, you know, fight for this. It's not funny that people are being bribed to, you know, give checks to fake companies. That's just not on. So I didn't realise at the time, but there was actually someone from the media in that group of accountants and it made it onto the paper. So um, I got into a bit of trouble because I, you're not supposed to, you know, go to the media without permission. So, mm. but I was, I thought I was just talking to a bunch of accountants mm. and I had told them that that's what I was doing. But anyway, it, it had an interesting ripple effect, shall we say. Has that underlined your ongoing belief that it is better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm an auditor, I can't say that. <laughs> now... Uh, Sue Morrison is with me today on the Lake Mac Way and already just finding out about your story is fascinating. So you've been to and worked for a lot of governments, is that right? Yeah, yeah, through different um, aid agencies, I suppose. So at the moment I'm um, on, the, on the books for the International Monetary Fund. So they send me all around the place. And now that they've figured out how to do it online, I've been online to Cambodia in the last, oh, just before Christmas and did another stint um, training some uh, Africans in the Gambia. So I worked with the Gambian government as well. That, that was fun. That was some of those 14 flights I did in 2019 was to actually get to Gambia, which is mm. almost, I think, the furthest place you can get from Newcastle without coming back around the other way. Where's Gambia? I'm going to show my ignorance here. Where is it? Which Is that in Africa? Yep, yep. You know, the, the round nose bit of, of Africa, so West Africa. Um, if you've heard of the Dakar, like Ghana, north of Ghana, yeah, near probably the closest would be the Dakar Rally mm -hmm. in Senegal. So it's mm -hmm. just below Senegal. Any dictators in that area? <laughs> you know, Africa's had a few. Any of them, you don't have to name them. <laughs> oh, there was. In, in fact, when we stayed in the hotel, the hotel staff, you know, we just sort of made some tentative inquiries about, you know, some of the history of the Gambia. And they were quite happy telling us that they they had a, a new guy. That I think he'd been elected 
properly in 2017 who was putting the country back on track but the previous guy was you know probably that typical mad African dictator so yeah that was <laughs> funny and scary <laughs> hearing about that. Are you going to tell me a story about that that they <laughs> shared with you or is that a little bit too close? I'm probably giving the information secondhand, so don't don't know that. But I, I could see the effects, though. You know, a, a lot of the infrastructure when we went to the Gambia was just broken down because this guy had apparently siphoned off all the money. I think he kept marrying wives and giving himself university degrees and all of that sort of stuff. And mm. eventually um, a lot of the West African countries um, banded together and helped uh, enforce the legitimate uh, election that they had. So the guy that was was in there. I actually did one of my training in, in training sessions in Parliament House in the Gambia. That was interesting. Mm. Just like <laughs> scene of interesting goings on, I'm sure. Mm. So, you know, but it, it was the humble people and particularly the women, I guess, you know, and they uh, a lot of the women kind of looked to me and go, "Wow, you know, she's doing all this stuff. She's a, you know, must be an important person or something." I'm thinking, "Oh, I'm just an ordinary person from Cardiff, you know." Mm. But um, you know, they respected what I did and that I had, you know, I could speak up because a lot of women in those countries don't have the power to speak up. Mm. And so some of my success stories are actually the working with coaching some of the young women. So I'm still coaching um, a young woman in the Solomon Islands and, um, you know, just giving her a bit of courage. And she's really smart, but she doesn't have that self-belief, which is a bit of their culture. It's not to do that. And the same in the Gambia, those Women work so hard. Not only are they internal auditors, but they feed their families and look after their children and do all of that domestic stuff on top of their professional roles as internal auditors. Have you ever walked into a situation and been just shocked? Yes. The hospital in Honiara. It's just awful. You know, and when I think of, and I, I could see the amount of money that aid money and government money that went into that hospital, and I looked around and saw the conditions that the patients were in, and it was just awful. Where's all that money gone? Don't know. And would that money have come from other countries in terms of aid? Would they have all got together? It wouldn't have just come from one place? Absolutely, yeah. A lot of people helping. And have been for, for decades helping the Solomon Islands, you know, because they are our, our neighbours, you know, mm. so we, we help our neighbours. And I just don't, I don't know where that money's gone. Honestly, don't know where it's gone because mm. there's lots of programs I could see. I, I had a, access to the, the government accounts that I could see that money was coming in, but when you went to have a look at what was there, not there. What do you do about it? What can you do about it? Work at the grassroots. And that's what I like about local government. It's really grassroots, you know, you're really connecting with the community. And that's what I did overseas too, you know, even though the scale was, you know, whole of government, it's still, you know, these countries are only as big as Lake mm -hmm. Macquarie sometimes themselves. So, mm -hmm. you know, so really just help the ordinary people to realise maybe they've got a voice that they can say no. Um, you know, situation in Tuvalu, that tiny country in the Pacific, and um, just spoke to some of the, the women who were in charge of approving some of the invoices. And I said, you knew this was wrong. Why did you sign it? And they sort of giggled and looked, looked away. And they just said, oh, because he was the boss and he told us to do it. And I'm going, you know what? You, you come and talk to us next time. So you know, come and talk to the internal auditor. Come and talk to the auditor general or someone else and just say, look, I don't think this is right. You don't have to prove, like in a court of law, that something's 
not right, but come and talk to someone and say, look, you know, I've seen these payments go through and, you know, I just don't think they're, they're quite right. Can you, can you help? Mm. And so part of my job was then to empower the internal auditors to do that mm. inquiry investigations. You said you grew up in Cardiff and you've had these amazing experiences and in, in your career as an internal auditor. How do you get from Cardiff to those roles is that what is that something you identified early that that is what you wanted to do or was it just you know was did the dominoes fall along the way well I'm a woman of faith so I think you know God was you know directing my path but um, I literally you know back in the day sat for the public service exam and must have done really well because the Auditor General in New South Wales offered me a scholarship and coming from a Dad, dad's a tradie, mum was at a stay-at-home mum. We didn't have money to go to university, so this was my, my ticket to, to get to uni mm. uh, after doing pretty well at school. And, um, yeah, got a scholarship, went to... People said, did you always dream of becoming an auditor? Do you know? And I went, nah, didn't even know what it was. That mm. <laughs> have pretty much been an auditor my entire career because it mm. just clicked with me. I had that courage I guess and had that inquiring mind and and I like systems and processes I actually don't like maths all that much Mm. but um, it's a conviction yeah yeah a passion conviction Mm. you know and I saw my mum and dad struggle um, so you know but they always wanted the best for their families and I can see the same thing in every country that I go into it's just ordinary you know people just wanting to do the best for their families Mm. and so you know can we can we help them do that did you ever think of doing something else at any stage through that uh, through your career? I did. I did. I, I, I tried um, some other. I worked at Cessnock Council in. I uh, was the admin services manager for a while, so mm. I had um, lots of staff reporting to me, and you know, having to do you know council meetings and all of that kind of thing. But yeah, it didn't it didn't excite me as much. I just didn't feel as much like it, I was contributing, and I guess I was good at what I was doing. So. You kind of stick to what you're good at. What do you reckon the biggest challenge is that you've faced in your life? Maybe a time that you can look back on now and you go, that was a test. Probably that whole situation in the Solomon Islands. You know, I could have chosen to get back, get on a plane and get, you know, and just say, it's your, your problem, you deal with it. Or... I could just press in, you know, in spite of the the threats, you know, in spite of the difficulties. You know, Solomons is not an easy place to live, you know. The weather's often like this. It's sort of cloudy and and rainy but stinking hot, so you're always sweaty. You're always itching like a monkey. (laughs) It's just hot and sweaty. They run out of everything. You run out of power. You run out of water. You run out of, you know, you name it. Really, you know, when you live there, quite difficult and yet it just gave me an affinity with what they have to live with all the time you know Mm. I could come home to Australia and and just what a lucky country we have here you know we Mm. are so lucky to live in Newcastle and Lake Macquarie I'll tell you after some of the places that I've been to in in the Gambia funny story they actually had in the internal audit compound they had goats (laughs) internal audit goats mm. and so they were, were they part of the security detail I'd, i i think they might have been a bit of a side money making venture to pay for the <laughs> the stationery or something it was mm. hilarious <laughs> took a photo of the internal audit goats <laughs> so i suppose you're still in the role you're still passionate about the role as an internal auditor now you find yourself, after all of these experiences overseas, 
You're at Lake Mac Council now. You haven't been there long. How did that job come up and how did you know Sue Morrison end up in that job? <laughs> Good question. I, I was well and truly my wings were clipped during COVID so couldn't fly anywhere and they hadn't overseas they hadn't worked out how to do Zoom and team meetings and all of that sort of stuff so I had no work so I actually approached some of those agencies and said look could we try doing some of this online so that took a while so I ended up on JobKeeper in 2020 like a lot of people and then was just um, doing uh, en enough work to sort of get get by so my husband was working part-time as well and so between the two of us you know we were fine and we just counted ourselves pretty blessed compared to lots of Aussies who were doing it really tough but then out of the blue Lake Mac Council approached me because they'd looked on LinkedIn and saw mm -hmm. that you know I was an auditor I lived locally and you know would I be interested so I negotiated so I'm working four days a week for Lake Mac and I've still got my one day a week that I can do for international stuff and Morvan's mm -hmm. actually quite supportive and that that I do that because I'm basically getting the best of both worlds mm. you know I can still help the overseas guys online and you know um, we have talked about when when we can fly again I might be able to you know take some leave to go overseas uh, as well go back because it's not quite the same as doing it o online as it is face to face you actually get more immersed in the culture and you get why certain things happen when you're actually there so mm. it'll be good to be able to do that uh, eventually so we'll see we're not sure but you know I just thought it was a great opportunity to get some steady income to get back to you know I, I teach a lot of internal audit this is actually doing internal audit so I'm getting my feet back under the desk so to speak for actually doing the work as well so mm. I'll collect a few more experiences I can share overseas I'm sure we're good. Lake Mac Council's a big organisation. Is it just you, or have you got a team working with you? Is there half a dozen that half a dozen staff, other staff who are you're all doing the work? No, just me. But there is a really good attitude. The previous internal auditor did a great job, you know, building up the the role and partnering with managers. So it's better to, you know, instead of I'm coming to audit you, to actually work with managers to say how how can we make this better? How can we stop first dodgy things happening, but but just make things more efficient and effective you know mm. is there an easier way of doing this so I'm all into you know partnering with other people with other skills so mm. you know meeting lots of people learning lots of things they're keen to have sometimes having the internal auditor in a meeting sometimes you know gets a bit more of a result <laughs> than <laughs> mm. than other things so yeah so far so good. Is the role a lot different than it was 10 years ago even five years ago? I think so. I think so. It's it's evolved a little bit. I was part of the local government internal audit network, and we were. I was part of the team that wrote the New South Wales guidelines um, in 2008. Um, so we wanted to make the rules clearer and easier to understand. So you know, work with the international body that puts out international standards for internal auditors. So mm -hmm. we're trying to get a a, 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 a um, local government flavour for that. We're having to learn a lot more about technology now because you know the the people that are doing the wrong thing know how to use computers <laughs> mm. so we have to be ahead of the game with that but there's also a lot of emphasis more on it, not just getting the numbers right but getting the governance right mm. you know what's the decision making what's the processes around that mm. so that's as important as the numbers are you big on workplace culture and having a good morale within a workplace and having a collegiate atmosphere if you like getting on with each other is that important 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think I've always instinctively known that, but um, you know, I actually had a talk with someone, uh, a career advisor, many years ago, and talked about you know I could have made a lot of money working for a bank or an insurance company as an internal auditor, but because my passion was you know for the ordinary people and making sure they got a fair go, um, I realised that I was my best fit was in in the public sector. So you know that's really where my passion was um, anyway. So for someone listening to this and may know Sue Morrison before this interview and many maybe don't know, know the, the role and the work experience you've had. Tell me one thing about you that no one else would know. <laughs> I have a super superpower, a special skill. I can ride on the back of a motorbike carrying a bottle of wine in a sarong. <laughs> I had to do that in Tuvalu and, you know, I hadn't really ridden motorbikes before. And So you were doing the riding or were you a passenger? No, I was a passenger. <laughs> Going over all the speed bumps. Right. So the follow-up question of this, uh, where were you going and what were you going to do? Was this a party you were heading to? Yeah, well, in Tuvalu their phone network died, so there wasn't a way of ringing each other up and saying, you know, come over for dinner. So I got this knock on my hotel door and this nice young man was there and he was part of building the, the new airport there and he said, oh, Jade said I had to come and pick you up for dinner. Mm. So I went, oh, okay, <laughs> so you learn to do things spontaneously mm. and I thought well how are we going to get there and you know I thought I'd better take a bottle of wine and anyway I just thought well and just as I was you're going very quite slowly of course but mm. it was just one of those you know amazing moments thinking wow you know this is this is great this is mm. fun this mm. is yeah who would think a 50 something year old woman would be doing mm. this it was great what do you do away from work to relax or recreation you know where you can walk away from your job and draw a line in the sand now it's time for me and my family to enjoy ourselves what 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 do you do um I like the beach so I like you know sitting on the beach and you know so going to tropical places is not bad I used to do that on the weekend when I could and sometimes just go for a drive in the country so that's what my husband and I did yesterday we just drove up to Dungog and had a you know, found a cafe there and helped mm. the locals and, you know, looked at, admired the countryside and, you know, I always think how lucky we are to live in mm. Australia and, mm. you know, I was feeling a bit down about the situation in Ukraine so mm. just needed to get some headspace away from the news and the saturation of that. So I'm also into a bit of creative stuff. I like to do embroidery and, and mm-hmm. textile art so I do a bit of that just to do something with my hands rather than my head. Yeah. Are you the sort of person who's looked at, considered, wondered what retirement might be like? <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose, but yeah, I think it's a bit down the track. Um, I'm on the books for the International Monetary Fund and uh, they let you keep working until you're 70, so I think I've got a few years yet to keep going overseas, so that's good. Mm. So the short answer to that is no, not it's yet. not on the agenda. <laughs> not yet, yeah. not yet. Do you think you'll be doing something else in 10 years, five years from now? Oh, look, I, uh, I hope eventually that I'll be a grandma. So my kids are still pursuing their careers and, and so forth. So no grandchildren yet. But, you know, I see my other co- colleagues or other friends my age, you know, spending time with the grandchildren. I think that seems like a nice thing to do, you know. Mm. You know, sit on the, on the beach and play sandcastles with my grandchildren. That sounds like a good plan. What about travel just for fun 
so that you can go to another country and just you know, soak up the culture without going into uh, a situation where you're trying to make sure someone's not diddling the books. Yeah, that'd be nice too. There's a few places. I haven't been to Europe, so, you know, mm. that was a... I was saving up my money to do that and COVID sort of stuffed up those plans. So, you mm. know, maybe that, given enough time, that will be all open mm. and depending on what happens over there now, of course. Mm. But uh, I had an interest in Japan. I just... It, because the culture's just so different and really different to the islands mm. as well. So mm. that would be great. Loved going to Africa. That was amazing just to see that, even though I was working. Yeah. Um, but I do get to absorb different experiences than the normal tourists so quite enjoyed that if you could pick one place right now well you mentioned japan you, yeah. you mentioned africa uh, you also mentioned mm. europe mm. pick one that you can go to for a holiday where would you pick great britain england scotland wales they'd be that'd be top of the list mm, yeah because i think i you know i like reading that's another thing i do and i've read lots of books about those places but never been so i think that would be good to go there explore some of the you know ancestral roots or whatever down the track sue mm. morrison lovely to talk to you today thanks craig the leak mate we is produced by leak macquarie city council <laughs>